Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another sunny day here in the capital. How long will it last? I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Jim Miller, the Procurement, Commissioning, and Facilities Director for the National Health Service, National Services Scotland. Jim, hello. Good morning. Thank you for coming on the show today. We might as well jump straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Yeah, that's a big question, isn't it? I, <laughs> yes. Um, I, I think for me personally, uh, leader or, or leadership, uh, there's been so much written about it. But personally, I believe it's probably got two distinct aspects, um, particularly when you differentiate leadership from management. So I think the first thing about leadership, I believe it's all about legacy. Mm-hmm. So it's perhaps uh, a different time scale from, from what we, you would normally do. It's really about making that difference historically or in a, a legacy position. Um, and this, the second point isn't uh, unique to leadership, but I think it's fundamental to leadership, and that's um, authenticity. Um, so if you're not authentic as a leader, then frankly, you're not a leader. Mm-hmm. So I think um, being authentic and being interested in legacy, for me, are, are really key. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Well, that's the second big question. <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps it's not me you should ask. Um, I think... Every leader would like to say that they are, are able to adapt to the situation. Um, that's the positive spin. The negative spin is um, those who are led by you say that you change your leadership style depending on the pressure of um, internal and external to the organisation. So one person's adaptive leadership is another person's, um, you know, changes, changes the weather. Um, I'm probably more... Uh, uh, allowing others to be empowered than being uh, a sort of dictatorial, if you like, a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but nevertheless, what what I have found interesting, uh, uh, certainly as I think as I've matured as a as a leader, is that um, there's as, there's as much dubiety in a laissez-faire organisation um, as there is tension in, in one that's, that's that's extremely hierarchical or strict. And there are there are many parts of the organisation that really look to the leaders, not just to provide inspiration and guidance and strategy, but actually to provide a, a, a framework that they can operate within. So I am able to operate in that. I wouldn't say it was my preferred style, um, but equally, if you move too far to the last fair, then you find people looking around saying, "Do we have a direction? Uh, does the organisation know where it's going? And indeed, does the leadership know?" where it was to take the organization. So it's important to get that sweet spot, I think, between between the two. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that I hit that sometimes, but I would not be, um, I would be a bit egotistical to say maybe that's, that's where I, I start all the time. Now, you touched on an interesting point earlier about needing to be uh, flexible in your leadership style based on uh, whom or what you're dealing with. Um, now, your leadership style uh, would have evolved from somewhere, I would imagine that at some point early on in your career, there was a particular individual who was an influence on you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I will. And um, to spare his blushes, I don't mind giving him a, 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 giving him a, a name check. <laughs> um, t- Tony Douglas was my uh, first, I believe, inspirational leader when I was um, a relatively new director for British Airports Authorities down at um, Heathrow and Gatwick. 
and Tony came from the automotive industry into aviation. Um, he was relatively young at that time, I'd say mid-30s, um, but was just a completely different leader than any that I had um, um, encountered before. Um, he really, he was the first person to be less concerned with the function and more around service delivery, the value, whether that was financial value, social value, uh, or, or customer service value. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, uh, it was the first time where, he, where I, I believe that he, that the internal boundaries were irrelevant to the service that was being, being provided. Uh, Tony was, uh, was and is hugely successful. He then went on to, um, to the Middle East, to the Ports Authority in Abu Dhabi. Um, and the last time I heard from him, he was actually the first non-Arab CEO of um, of airline, and I believe he's now Chief Operating Officer, Chief Executive of Qatar um, uh, Airways, um, and not yet um, not yet 55, so he's done incredibly well, and I still remember, I learned so much from him. It's excellent to hear that legacies uh, can pass from one uh, person to another. Uh, within your own organization, uh, have you taken anyone under your wing as a mentee? Um, some in a very formal sense. Uh, again, there's, a, there's an idea of mentoring as a program where it feels that you know that you have uh, two or three uh, in, individuals at any point in time. Um, I would like to think actually what's more successful is where there's a, a natural um, synergy or attraction between one person's leadership style and another person's aspiration. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I am very proud to say that I've seen um, a, a number of people, certainly two or three spring to mind, um, that have came into the organisation and uh, not particularly looking for a career, probably started looking for a job, then realised actually that whilst potentially working for the NHS, there were career opportunities and indeed working in, in, in my area, I was able to guide them in terms of understanding what that career would, would be. Um, I've gone on, in some cases I've gone on to a high level of success within the NHS. Others have, in fact, one in particular has started their own consultancy business um, out in Australia and is doing really, really well. Um, and others have moved, keeping the same uh, skill set, but moved back to private sector. So, yeah, I, I do like to, um, <laughs> like I said, too paternalistic, I do like to understand and see where people have gone as they've moved on from the, those interactions. Now, um, within your own organisation, you work um, in a field which is uh, incredibly important uh, to people's everyday lives, uh, ensuring that uh, that the services provided uh, with the uh, equipment and facilities that are necessary, um, you would obviously manage, manage quite a decent amount of people in this. Um, now, I would imagine that there is sometimes a high stress level amongst your staff uh, to ensure that this is all done in the right order, in the right time. How do you manage uh, that stress level within your staff? Okay, uh, perhaps just to give a little bit of context. So, so it's a, I suppose many large organizations, extremely varied. So my part of the organization, I've got about seven, just over 700 staff. Um, so if it was a standalone organization, I would be you know, relatively large. Uh, but of course, it's part of the, the, the largest figure employer in the UK, so it's part of the NHS. But nevertheless, 700 is a big team. Um, and that the skill set or the, the ranges in there from um, admin and clerical staff through to uh, clinical and medical staff, um, uh, through to uh, 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 health scientists, 
um, professional engineers, uh, architects, so and kind of everything in between. So one person's um, uh, one person's stress is another person's excitement. Uh, one person's excitement is another another person's worst nightmare, mm-hmm. and they're not understanding where they're going. So probably go back to that earlier point in terms of those uh, adaptive leadership uh, pieces. Um, you mentioned earlier in terms of, of things that had stuck with you. I was very lucky to receive some um, excellent mentoring in my own career early on by a, a South African colleague who introduced me to this idea of flow, and it's been written about many times since. But the idea of um, um, high flow and low flow, where those um, external um, behaviours can look very similar. So in other words, boredom can look almost the same as actually being on the edge of, of, of being um, of sick or having uh, illness through stress. The, the skill, I think, in good management and leadership is to understand um, where people sit in that stream. And it may be that in certain areas of their work, they're in one, and in certain areas, they're in another. So it's not to do with how long someone's been in a job or how capable they are in that job. Um, it's, it's multifactorial in that sense. You really do need to get beneath, get beneath the skin. Uh, one of the easiest ways to do that is, is to ask simple questions, you know, and it's amazing how how the, how the are you doing? Um, but you ask that twice, how are you doing? You'll get in Scotland, you'll get the, the normal answer of okay, which is a bit ambiguous, isn't it? <laughs> so um, uh, ask that more than once. You know, or ask it slightly differently, and then I think you get a very, very different answer. And then from a from a response that's just about social interaction, you'll very quickly get to a response that's about emotional temperature, if I can describe it as well. Now, unfortunately, our time together is very, very quickly drawing to its close. But quickly, before I let you go, uh, what does the next twelve months have in store for the NHS National Services Scotland? Okay, I um, I. I Again, very exciting time. Um, we are clearly just in a post-Brexit post, uh, post landscape, so the next 12 months uh, we will be looking at what that means in terms of new trading relationships with our partners in the EU uh, and elsewhere um, and how that changes the dynamic uh, internally and how it changes the, uh, our supply chain. From facilities uh, uh, piece, then we have a, a significant amount of of new build and refurbishment of the NHS estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that really needs to adapt to different ways that we provide health uh, increasingly. And hopefully people will spend less time in hospital and more time being cared for at home. So how does that? How does the infrastructure of the NHS have to adapt to meet that? Uh, that's not 12 months, but certainly that's part of the next 12 months. Well, Jim, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. And I very much hope you'll come back on the program soon so we can go further in depth as to the uh, the state of health in Scotland. Uh, Jim, thank you so much. Thanks again. That was Jim Miller, Procurement, Commissioning and Facilities Director for the National Health Service, National Services Scotland. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me and realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex 
uh, my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, had one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with, he'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the colour of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top; is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships. You could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came 
and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, Maybe overly strict, but at times you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm-hmm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. 
And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Um, Not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, out. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again the leadership that I'll show you, you got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." So that—I've uh, had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time? I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who 
who asked the question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses itself, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think. Um, you, you were a young man when... See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, uh, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals, or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely mm. 
you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, That's good they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later. Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at There's that, so many, yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about. Uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together all those years later. It didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. And there was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We had some great players, we had some great players, of course, but without the attitude (laughs) alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word word is team. The word is is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking—if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, 
um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused, you're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.